Welcome to the Arts and Antique Radio Show, where your host, nationally recognized certified appraiser Elizabeth Stewart, Santa Barbara's treasure sleuth, will help you put a value on the treasures in your own home. Every time it rains, it rains pennies from heaven. Don't you know each cloud contains pennies from heaven? So let's find out. How valuable is it? Hello, 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 Santa Barbara. It's your interest of everything valuable and beautiful, Elizabeth Stewart. And like every other wonderful show at the Santa Barbara Maritime Museum, this one really captured my attention. This is a work photography by Dan Merkel. And uh, the cover shot that uh, was sent with the invitation was this incredible lighthouse. And I've been fascinated with lighthouses for years, but Dan's got this lighthouse and um, there's a wonderful, massive wave that's striking right in front of the lighthouse. Um, the lure of lighthouse, the lure of the lighthouse is the name, photography by Dan Merkel. Um, and some of the images that came through with the, um, with the invitation, Am I saying it right? Hecata, Head Lighthouse in Oregon. H uh, H E C T A. No, I think it's more hectic. Hectic. Um, it's in the middle of Oregon. It's and a then a, a lighthouse in Oregon is just incredibly evocative. And then a panoramic camera photo of a wave from the jet ski at famous Jaws Maui. Um, Gosh, it's just amazing, amazing work. And and first of all, I, I want to introduce our our panel today. I think Emily Falk is here, who's the curator of the show and a curator of all the all the art shows at the Maritime Museum, and and Greg Gorga, who is the director of the Maritime Museum, and just a wonderful person. Um, Dan Merkel is here as well, the artist that we're talking about today. And I wanted to start the show because, um, gosh, I have been fascinated with lighthouses and. Um, gosh, Greg, I can tell you, I was at a, an estate sale. There was this massive Danish portrait of the lighthouse that's the at the top of Denmark, um, and the waves crashing in. It was a very realistic, you know, very late nineteenth, early twentieth century heavy duty realism, and uh, needed badly rest restoration. I had to buy it. I restored it. And it's in my son's house because my son's fascinated with lighthouses. His dad is fascinated with lighthouses. I don't know exactly understand the symbolism, but maybe you could tell us what what is so evocative about the lighthouse and maybe what was the first one like? I mean, was there ever a first lighthouse? Yeah, the first one, I believe, was off of Alexandria uh, uh, in Egypt. Uh, going back 2000 BC, I believe, is that old? And obviously, it's just like a fire on a tower. Uh, that, uh, and you know, what's the? I think the romanticism is a few things. One is they are uh, started in busy harbors, and it was a a sign that you are home, right? So it was the security of you're out at sea. And in those days, still today, it's dangerous. There's so many shipwrecks, millions are, are on this planet. Uh, so. So traveling into the unknown, being able to, and you were gone back in the day for years sometimes, two, three, four-year voyages. So seeing that lighthouse 
uh, is not only safety, but it's also the security of coming home. Uh, and then they started going, as lighthouses became more prevalent, they started going out to desolate areas to help uh, um, sailors around these rocky, dangerous points, Point Conception being one of those examples. And in those places, those lighthouse keepers were all by themselves. There's no community around them. Uh, so there's uh, some romanticism to them. Most of them had families with them, uh, but they are pretty much on their own. So they, they had to, to think, uh, uh, do the work every night. You know, there's no days off. Uh, sometimes it was just one keeper, maybe two or three. Uh, so no days off. You're working nights and you're keeping that light lit, but you're saving lives. And, and so they're, they are so important and save thousands and thousands of lives. And we were, you know, a maritime nation here, but all over the world, uh, everything you got, uh, any time you went somewhere, you were going by boat. So those lighthouses were your guide, and then they were your sign that you were coming home and you're back to your point of refuge. And this idea that they're so solitary, you know, the 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 um the locations, the you know the the um the fact that the lighthouse keeper was you know, by his or her lonesome, because there were some female lighthouse keepers, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, oh, absolutely. That's one of the yeah. most famous right here in Santa Barbara, Julia Williams. We got a lighthouse up by Lazy Acres, uh, and she was the longest serving lighthouse keeper, male or female, in, United, in California. 40 years uh, she did the, the lighthouse here, only missed two nights, and she had two children those during those 40 years, and, and the two nights she missed were the nights her sons were married, not even the nights her, she for those children. That's <laughs> interesting. But, but Dan didn't get a photo of that. I don't know why. Well, it did get destroyed in the 1925 earthquake, so maybe he wasn't around yet. Right, right. Well, let me introduce Dan. Um, he's an Emmy Award winning uh, artist, and he's a legend in the surfing world. Um, and it's a funny, funny term they use is surfing lensman for 30 plus years. Dan the Man Mountain, he was nicknamed by Jerry Lopez, um, responsible for some of the free ride era's most memorable images. Um, you know, it's, it goes on to say his insatiable appetite for the best shot has had him to go on the hunt ever since. Um, he also did still photography and commercial cinematography in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. Um, he was incredibly successful at that as well. Um, other films have featured Dan's work, Big Wednesday, Endless Summer, number two, and other films um, have used his work. Uh, to see, Dan is, I think, living here in Santa Barbara, right, Dan? Are you here? Uh, are, you, are you based here? Kind of. I travel 300 and something days a year. Right, um, okay. So I'm very, I'm very busy. <laughs> I, I, I tell everybody. They asked me, where do you live? And I said, wherever my camera is. Right. So so tell me about how you got started. And I, I have to tell you, I forget the gentleman's name. Maybe Greg can help me. But I was in an appraisal and the family had a, um, a surround, a camera surround that was invented here in Santa Barbara by a famous guy. Um, and he, he built a, like a, uh, a safe box to put the camera in so he could go in the middle of the wave and shoot. Um, and I can't remember who this inventor was, but it, I, I'll figure it out at the break. But it struck me when, what was his name? 
George Greeno? Yes, it was George. Yeah. So it was, and they had like letters from him. The family had letters in this, this surround box. It was George Greeno. That's exactly right. And when I was looking at your work online, then I was thinking of him and I was thinking, you know, how courageous you have to be and what a good athlete you have to be. I mean, first of all, um, just a little background, George Greeno in those days, that was a huge camera he was hefting. You know, he was, it was a major big camera. Uh, and, you know, the the surround box was big. I mean, it was like 12 by 18, Greg, you know, that he put, it was a, a waterproof case for his camera. All that weight, and he's like shooting as he's surfing. It's like, how did, how did he do that? Um, would like <laughs> I would like to know for sure. Okay. He did, he used an air mat because the weight of the camera, if you were in the water and you picked your swimming and if you picked up when he was filming for Big Wednesday and I worked on Big Wednesday with him, if you picked up the camera, you would sink. So we could wear a life jacket, but he used an air mat so he could sit up on the air mat, pull the camera up and put it up on his shoulder, the heavy one, and then had an eyepiece off the side, like a side finder. And then he could look through the lens. It, and the housing he built, he had a movie camera, 35 millimeter motion picture high speed camera called a Mitchell. He gutted the whole camera and put the guts and made fiberglass box around it. That's what I saw. I saw that fiberglass box. Yeah. yeah. I have a great photo of that because when I was working with him and he has it here and I, I take the picture from the other side and you don't see his head. His head is this big camera. <laughs> Uh, shot that I shot in Hawaii, and you do see his big arms because on the muscle carrying that. We have that photo in our surf exhibit. Dan Merkel's photo of George Greeno is in our surf exhibit. And so, what year was that, Dan? In the seventies. Okay, okay. Wait, and we're going to go to quick break, but I want to ask Dan how he got started in this. I mean, was it the sport? Was it the art? You know, what came first? Was it the sport or the art or both? Uh, was it the eye? I mean, how did you discover this niche? You know, I want to, want to know more about that. Um, and just a quick shout out. This is I'm speaking with Dan Merkel, who's got a, a show up at Santa Barbara Maritime Museum, The Lure of the Lighthouse. Emily Falk, curator, and Greg Gorga, the director of the museum, is here as well. Don't turn that down. Back in a minute. Elizabeth Stewart, and I'm talking with Greg Gorga, the director of the Maritime Museum, Emily Falk, the curator, and also with an artist who's fascinating, Dan Merkel. And it turns out, you know, he he's worked uh, in the surf world uh, for years and years and years. We were talking about, uh, I think it was Big Wednesday, um, and then some of the people that he's worked with um, for, for 30 years uh, plus. Um, Rabbit Bartholomew, Sean Thompson, Mark Richards, Jerry Lopez, Buttons, 
Uh, I can't pronounce that last name. What's Button's last name, Dan? I can't pronounce it either. Yeah. Hawaiian last name. Um, et cetera, et cetera. He's worked with George Greenow. Oh, here it is. Here's George's name. Um, and I happened to, to, to tell Dan that I was at an appraisal. The family um, had one of these fiberglass boxes that George put his camera in in the 70s as he was shooting inside of the wave. And what made me think about that to ask Dan was there's a, a photo that Dan shot and it is a panoramic camera photo of the wave from inside the wave. He's on a jet ski and he's at famous Jaws in Maui. And it looks like, you know, the curve, Richard, you know how the wave curls? I mean, it, it dance right inside that curve. Well, well, I'm close to the wave. <laughs> well, tell how did you get that shot? Um, well, basically, really, I didn't shoot that one from a jet ski. I shot it from a boat, and it was a panoramic camera, a Fuji 617 film. You get four shots on a roll, and the camera is all manual. You set the focus, the f-stop. It had no light meter. Uh, this is really old style, but the, the panoramic look showed you a lot more, give you the human eye look. And like in the theater, movie theaters, the big wide screen. So the cameras are, they're slow. They don't have all the functions like a 35 millimeter camera or any speeds. It's wind like three to four times on the film and then wow. one picture. So that camera... I didn't have a water housing made for that. But what's interesting about George Greeno, he built my first water housing. He's kind of a genius, the guy, right? Yeah. He lived yeah. in Montecito up on, up on the hill up there at his mom's place, mom and dad's. And he even built a sailboat in the backyard that he sailed all the way to Australia. And he had a big hole in the ground where the keel was going to go. So he dug a big hole and the boat sat inside this bit just on that <laughs> upper end of the dirt. And then he could fill the, the lead would be down inside to make the keel. You mean at his mom's house? He, he built the boat at his mom's house. I was there. And if you were ever at George Greeno's mom's house in his room in his workshop, you'd be going, oh, my God. Stuff why? Why? What, why? Why? What was, the, what was exceptional? He was a tinkering guy that worked on lots of different things and would tear them apart and put them back together. So you you go into his workshop and there was just stuff everywhere. You you wouldn't know where where to or anything went. And so when Hollywood approached him to make it that Mitchell camera into put it in a water box, that's a big risk, a lot of money back then uh, to take. The camera, take the guts, take the whole metal frame around, out, then make a fiberglass box, a mold, and then set it inside there. So it was innovative at the time. And the camera that he wore on his back, he was famous for, in Innermost Limits of Pure Fun, surf movie he made, actually out at the Channel Islands, some of it too. Um, it, it was pretty spectacular for the time. He, I mean, he's still alive today, and he's still riding his air mat in Australia. Oh, he's in Australia now. Oh, he's been there for a long time. He left Santa Barbara a long time ago. Um, I've heard he lives in a pyramid in Australia, right? Doesn't his house like? <laughs> it, 
<laughs> yeah, I was with I, last trip. I was there a couple years ago, and my I was with my friend Dick Hools, another cinematographer, and we saw he saw a couch on the side of the road. He said, "Oh, we should get that for George." I thought there could be bugs in that thing. I said, <laughs> but George is eccentric. I mean, everything about him. He only wore shoes when he had to get on the airplane. He never he never wore shoes. Elizabeth, you remember we had Randy Yader, uh, surf, you know, the surfing surfboard shaper. Uh, George was the first to curve a fin on the surfboard and showed Rennie where to put the fins on his surfboards, Rennie told us. Right. The, this family that I was working for, they also had a couple of his fins. Yeah. So I kind of knew that. I knew that. But there's such an interconnected world. So, I, Dan, um, so so I, I'm interested to know you're a cinematographer, but you're also a still photographer. Um, so it says in your bio that there was a turning point for you in 1975. Um, I think you you did free ride in 1977, and uh, then you sort of were going back and forth with cinematography. Uh, wh which do you prefer and why? Boy, they're both different mediums, and uh, one's a lot heavier than the other. Even today, even today with new technology. Yeah, if you have a red today, still by the time you put the battery in it, your lens. You still could be at 20 pounds, 25 pounds, where a still camera just fits in your hand. Um, and the cost is a big difference. A red camera could be $50,000. I mean, the card that goes inside, like for a still camera for digital, well, the card that goes in a red camera would be $5,000 versus $100. So when you were doing your films, were you uh, were you working for yourself or were you working for Hollywood? Who were you working for? Well, I had a stock footage company. Uh, actually, at the time, it was a one-man company, me. Well, I had some employees. And I would travel the world shooting images that I would sell to television commercials, um, documentaries, fashion video, all kinds of stuff like that. Because it was cheaper for them to say... Oh, do you have a shot of Hawaii? You know, and I'd go, yes. Oh, do you happen to have a shot of a wave? Yes. Well, if to send somebody to Hawaii, it would cost a lot more money than just buying a couple shots for a couple thousand dollars. So it was cost okay. effective. So you, so you were like a little uh, early Getty, uh, yeah. Getty images. You were your well, one-man Getty image um, creator. I was so. the biggest one-man stock footage company in America. You were the what now? Say again. <laughs> I was the biggest one one man stock footage company in America. Nobody in America was one person who had all the different subjects that I had. And I used to watch TV and advertising and see, oh, what should I go shoot next? You know, and airline companies, they were always buying shots because, oh, we go to Puerto Rico. We go to Easter Island. We go to all these fascinating places. I said, well, I should go there and shoot images to sell to them. And then I ran ads in cinematography magazines, and I was known as the wave guy. Nobody had the waves like I had. I specialized in it. Unbelievable. Okay, so what, what years were you developing this business? Well, the first photo I sold in surfing is stills. 
was maybe 67, 68 for Positively. I got published in Surfing Magazine. Uh, and how that all came about is a, is a fantastic story. I was selling Christmas trees. <laughs> Christmas trees in, in the San Fernando Valley. And I'm helping a lady. And I don't know how we got talking about surfing. But she said, oh, my husband's the editor of Surfing Magazine. And I said, I shoot surfing photos. Because, <laughs> you know, I had a camera to shoot pictures of my friends. And she goes, here's his business card. Send the photos to him. And then I sent some photos and they said thank you uh but i wasn't good enough i didn't take you know i have the quality lenses and all that and i said oh okay i could get a better camera better lenses and within two years i was one of their top photographers and after that i was the staff photographer because i really worked hard at it and um since i was a surfer they used to hand me rolls of film oh you're going to this contest I said, yeah, well, here's five rolls of film. Shoot some pictures around the contest. And so when I wasn't in the heat, I would shoot scenes of the contest and some surf photos. Back then, you, you know, you got $20 if you sold a photo. It was more prestige. You know, it's so interesting, Emily. I, I have to say, look, what I'm hearing is entrepreneurship, artistry, the luck of the draw, Right place, right time, but then calculation uh, of where that might be based on what he was seeing. And then you get on top of that, the athlete part. So, you know, maybe, hey, Richard, I'll tell you what we can do We uh, when we get back from the break. Hey, Richard, let's go to quick break. I want Emily to talk about her favorite image and why. I mean, I do this to her every show she curates that I get to talk to her. Um, Cause usually she sees something that's pretty fantastic. She's got, she's got the eye as well, but it's just amazing, Dan. I mean, you, so somebody needs to do a movie about you. You're you. I mean, I know you've done movies about other people, events and people but somebody needs to do you this is fascinating what you've done lost and found lost and found that's the title right there we got the title yeah lost that's and found a- Doug walker out of uh, near the san francisco on the other side of the bay he's done some pieces on me i've been i've been in many tv shows and documentaries where they've interviewed me and had the footage but that was many many years ago now i'm old and nobody cares <laughs> No, I don't think that's true. I mean, basically, uh, well, th- this is part of, as you know, Greg has, has schooled me. This is part of a of a world. You know, it's part of a world that, that Santa Barbara got to be a part of and kind of big time. And uh, all of the surf legends that, you know, Greg and, and Emily have hosted at the museum and some of the t- talks, I mean, people are fascinated. Um Gosh, Greg, I was in an, another appraisal of a gentleman's house where they, they, you know, the the gentleman who did these beautiful images on the surfboards for you. Oh yeah. He had he, he bought two of those. Oh really? So, oh, um, you know, and, and and you know, and Dan. So I mean, there's what do you? It may be it may be an old story, but it's new again, and there is there is a market still. I mean, you're a prime marketeer, so. You, I mean, I'd be the first to say, gosh, somebody needs to do a film about Dan Marco. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Very kind. Yeah. 
Well, let's get, let's go to a quick break. And, and Emily, um, when we get back, Emily's going to tell us her favorite image in the show. Richard, let's go to a quick, quick break. Don't turn that down. Back in a minute. Welcome back. It's Elizabeth Stewart. I have the great pleasure of talking with Dan Merkel about the show that Emily Falk has hung at the Santa Barbara Maritime Museum of his work, uh, photography, uh, the lure of the lighthouse. Um, and Emily, what 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 work would you like to take home? That's impossible. But I would say that the the, the lead piece that sort of is by the title is um, Cape Disappointment in Washington State, where this stoic and amazing lighthouse is just up on this high bluff. And and then this crashing wave is coming right under it. And Dan has shown me pictures with that wave covers. The, it comes in front of the lighthouse. It covers the lighthouse. It's that big. So it's that whole thing with nature versus the stoic, proud, unrelenting lighthouse that makes the show so wonderful because it's about the lighthouses and the dancing waves and, and how they really interact. So it's, it's a terrific image and it's, and it's key in the, but I also really love some of the very old lighthouses from Maine. And we've had some black and white photos of those. There's just this feeling of isolation and nostalgia and loyalty and grandeur, just sitting out in a field, very remote, with families that worked remotely, that lived remotely, that lived within their probably very meager means and passed down their jobs to other family members. So there's this, that whole part is just very beautiful to me. And then there's the, you know, Cape Byron and Nazare and those that are just so compelling because they're striking with their sunsets and sunrises and their waves. And those are kind of in the middle of the exhibit with these orange walls so they sort of jump out at you. So it's, it's so varied. It's hard for me to pinpoint what I would take them. I take them all home. Right. And so you say that you've, you've painted the walls orange. Some, I painted the walls three different shades to work with series of lighthouses. So Black, okay. sir, orange, and a kind of leaf green. And a what? Kind of a leafy green. Leafy green. Okay. Dan, what do you think of the show? What do you think when you see your work? I mean, what do you think? Uh, I mean, I don't always see my pictures blown up because I'm always traveling. I think the Maritime Museum did a fantastic job. I mean, the the cards that they have underneath the pictures, the little squiggle drawings like with it, the, the placement of the photos, the coloring. Um, I think it was a really good job. You know, you could have a great photographer, but you need a team behind you. you. You need the experts that can handle one. Taking a photo is one part. Another part is the printing. You need a specialist who's good at that because all the photos have to have color work done to them. In the modern era, you shoot raw, and that takes all the information. And that information, then you have to go on the computer and punch back all the colors back in. Well, Dan, Dan, that's one of the ways I was saying. So my partner, John, is a professional photographer. And when you said, oh, Elizabeth, I'm going to have to go into the Maritime Museum for our interview because I don't use a computer. I was thinking, how does a photographer not use a computer? I mean, I'm thinking of John, my partner. 
he is all, I mean, he shoots and then there's hours of work on, you know, whatever it is he's, he's composing. And that's all working on the computer. But do you have somebody to do that for you? I just hire kids. <laughs> really? And they, and they have the eye for the color that you do? No. Oh, that's all done by like Eric at um, Surf to Summit. That's a specialist. The, when, like I hiring a young kid now to put images on hard drives and copy other hard drives, simple stuff. But coloring, that's got to be by, by a specialist that really knows what they're doing. Um, I don't have the time to try to learn. I'm already too old for that. <laughs> okay. I just okay. want to take photos. <laughs> that's it. I, I get it. So, Emily, for this show, it, it, so Dan is saying that he's not used to seeing his photos blown up. And so did you, did you take care of the the sizes and the coloring and hiring folks to do that? Did you do that for the museum? I worked with with Surf Summit, who does his printing, and we decided on the sizes, and I chose the all the images, and I grouped them and made the text plaques with sort of line drawings, kind of ghostly little line drawings of each one, so you can look at the text plaque and see the outline of it, and then you see it blown up in color, so this is kind of a nice little juxtaposition of, like, almost like an artist's drawing or like a like an architect's rendering, and then you see this blow up. So it's okay. Interesting. So, so let me ask this. So, so Dan was saying that you need a team to do such a show. So, what was your team? Who was your team? My team. Yeah. Um. You you mentioned Surf to Summit. I, I work with a graphic designer here at the museum who I did all the text plaques with, and then I hung the show with a couple of volunteers. And um, as far as choosing colors and graphics and I have some wallpaper on some walls of diamonds and stripes that kind of mirror I that's kind of my thing and I'm, I'm I'm the team there but anyway right. I, I do think Dan's right that it takes the photographer the the fabricator and how you hang the show to hit it all we're all in you know it's, it's like a triangle we all have to get this right and, and the, the photos the are on metal, right? Tell, tell yes, they're, they're on metal. Oh, so they're on metal. They're on metal with a sort of European wrap with kind of a black edging of about an, out, an inch and a quarter, all inch and a half all the way around. Yeah, I, I, I know that technique. It really pops the colors. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so, so Dan, what was the, when was the first day you saw the show hung? Uh, just a few days ago. <laughs> oh, well, it was Wednesday. Was Wednesday was the reception, right? Yeah, and I only saw it a day or so before that. I've been in Portugal, in Nazaré. At one. And what, what are you doing there? Waiting for giant waves. Nazaré, <laughs> but what's interesting? Nazaré has a fort with a lighthouse on top. It's not real tall, but everybody in Europe. And and lots of all the surfers around the world know of Nazare and that lighthouse because the biggest wave in the world, surfing wise, is Nazare off the lighthouse. There's a submarine canyon, and so when the swell gets at a certain size, it triples in size when it hits the submarine canyon. So you'll have people all over the cliffs on top of the lighthouse, and it looks like they're going to get hit, but they don't. Because the waves are so big there. It's wild. How big, uh, Dan? How big do they get? Biggest, close to 100 feet. So 
And people I, want it, people want to surf in on a hundred foot wave. <laughs> they're towed in. You can't paddle in. They tow them in by jet ski. It's only huh. all, all this happened because of modernization jet skis, because you have to be moving around thirty miles an hour to catch it, and they need to catch it early because if you're inside one of those waves, you're in trouble. Uh, this year, I was happened to be on the cliff at sunset and saw all the ambulance lights and everything going off and, I'm going, oh. and then i was talking to another photographer and he says they're doing cpr trying to save the surfer's life and he didn't make it and that was the first death at nazareth hawaii this a death happens every year i mean i've seen many people every year because the waves are so big and people don't listen to the lifeguards when they tape off a zone and say don't go past this and then the sets are far apart some sets might be 20 minutes apart, and then all of a sudden, you know, you have 30 foot, and then all of a sudden you could have 50 feet. Well, you got X amount more water rushing up the beach, and once that water gets you, it takes you off your feet. There's nothing you can do about it. It's going to suck you to the ocean and then to the current, and most people, unless you're a really good swimmer, know what you're doing, you're gone. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's quite amazing, Dan. What you you were in Portugal when we were having our big rains in Santa Barbara, and people would say, you know, don't step out in the gutter with that rushing water. Uh, and I experienced uh, that my uh, firsthand, and I I got knocked off my feet by the rushing water. And so powerful. And this was just three four feet of rushing water. When you talk about a hundred foot wave, <laughs> that's a whole different story. There's a lot of power in water for sure. Um, yeah. Well, Richard, Richard's giving us time. We got to go to quick break. Um, you know, I, I would love to talk a little bit more about all the places you've been and maybe you could tell us, Dan, um, is there a place that, you know, you would go back to again and again, or maybe you have, I know you're on the the lookout for images, but, you know, you're mentioning George, who ended up, you know, staying in Australia. He loved it, obviously. Is there a place that you would, you know, you would like to perhaps live? Uh, when we get back from the break, I'd love to hear right. you talk about that. Okay, let's go to quick break, Richard. Back in a minute with Dan Merkel, we're celebrating the Lure of the Lighthouse, the show that Emily Falk has hung at the Santa Barbara Maritime Museum. And Greg Gorga is here as well, the director. Don't turn that down. Back in a minute. Welcome back. It's Elizabeth Stewart. And, you know, <laughs> Greg... Uh, when I asked you if I could have Dan on, uh, I, I didn't expect that he would be such a remarkable person. Uh, it's just it's uh, quite amazing to hear this stories. And, and during the break, dear listener, we Dan was talking about Nazare, the lighthouse there. And there's a museum of surfboards at that lighthouse. And he was talking about famous surfers who were asked if they'd like to surf the biggest waves in the world. Uh, and I guess there's a, a contender waves in Hawaii um, and then that people are quite famous all throughout Europe for, for surfing uh, these massive waves in, is in Portugal. Um, and who knew that that was a, a surf spot? But Dan, I, I wanted to ask you, oh, first, let's have Greg tell us 
There is a big celebration this coming Wednesday. Point Conception, our our own Fernell Lens, is going to celebrate an anniversary, right, Greg? That is right. February 1st is the anniversary of the first lighting of the Point Conception Lighthouse Lens, which was in 1856. Uh, and to celebrate that, of course, we have Dan's beautiful exhibit of lighthouses and big waves. But we also have brought in Christine Dixon from New York City. She's an amazing singer. Uh, and she does a performance titled Keeping the Light, the story of the bravery, her heroism, and courage of African-American lighthouse keepers and life-saving service. So she uh, sings a performance of, uh, honoring those Black lighthouse keepers. It's also the start of Black History Month. Uh, there's a 3.30 performance that's more geared to, towards a younger audience, and then a 7 o'clock performance. Uh, tickets are on sale. Uh, the evening performance also includes a wine and cheese reception. Tickets are on sale on our website, sbmm.org. Uh, it's a $35 for members, $50 for non-members. Uh, it's a, she's uh, an amazing voice. She's on YouTube on a Nike commercial with Megan the Stallion. She's on the Amazon TV show, Mr. and Mrs. Smith with Donald Glover. Uh, she's in negotiations with all these other folks. She's done this performance. She does an impersonation of Harriet Tubman, uh, and then sings about these African, uh, uh American, uh, lighthouse keepers. And she's, um, done this performance well over 600 times. She did uh, uh, performances at the National Lighthouse Museum in New York City, and she's done it all over the country. So uh, I, I really uh, hope everybody will uh, come and see that. And then I also want to mention, to get back to Dan, um, you know, Sean Thompson, who's on our board of directors at the museum, he's the 1977 world champion surfer, talks about how Dan was always, he always knew uh, he could surf the way the way he wanted to because Dan knew about surfers and wasn't going to get in the surfer's way. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, he, you know, Dan was uh, photographing Sean and those guys back in the 70s. And, and so Sean has a big respect for, for Dan Merkel. Uh, and that's saying something coming from one of the top 10 surfers ever, uh, Sean Thompson. Yeah, you know, I can understand that because, you know, my my former life, I was in ballet, and and we'd have ballet photographers. Who, they didn't know ballet; they could probably kill you. <laughs> you know, they get in the way, you know, and you were you can't be doing that and jumping around. So, you know, I get it. I get it. Well, that is so cool. So, uh, well, Dan, will you tell us first of all, Richard? Do we have to get another break lined up? I guess so. Dan, tell us your favorite places that you've been. Would you consider? Any given place, a place to live? The one place I like the most, Tahiti. It's so beautiful. It's insane. The watercolor, all the coconut trees, the people. Uh, it is very expensive. You have to do it on the, the cheap side. I mean, in Bora Bora, I spent a month there, but I didn't have a car. I hitchhiked. Uh, <laughs> to get around. Well, I... It's it's funny because the guy that had a boat and took private tours for people snorkeling, I'm on the highway there with my air mat, swim fins, and a water housing. And he stops and picks me up and start a French guy, and he started asking me all these questions, and I told him what I was doing. And then he invited me to come on the boat for free all the time. So I was like a deckhand. And then when the he put the tourists in the water, I went in the water with him, and I'd go shoot the reefs and fish. 
But I love Tahiti a lot. I, I, I've been in so many places, and it's like I have to have a map. I forget. It's just like I go from one place to another. Uh, for where, many- where are you going next? Australia. Oh, you're on your way to Australia. And what are you going to do? Shoot waves. <laughs> well, but I'm shooting something that I call dancing water. I'm working on a. I've been working on it for a while. It's waves that go up and hit a cliff, and then they go back out to sea and hit another wave and explode. There's never any two waves that are the same. They always do something different. You know, it, it depends on the, the sea conditions. Is it glassy? Is it windy? Is it a high tide? Most of those kind of waves don't work when the tides are low. It has to have a high tide and a good swell to hit the cliff and then go back out to sea. Cape Disappointment, that's one of the places I've never seen any other place break is big. And, you know, the Cape Disappointment's in the Columbia River. It's right at the, the two jetties on each side. They're miles and miles apart. And the shipping route is through through that river and the lighthouse is right there. And they've got other small little beacon lights for, for all the mariners. But that place gets humongous waves. I've seen them up to 75 to 100 feet. The break, the break of the wave hitting the cliff and coming back and the explosions there. And you're very close to the action. Uh, photography wise, a 70 to 200 lens is all you would need because the waves are so big. You, you can't be tight because the wave would go out of frame. You know, um, Richard's giving us time. we got to go to quick break, but I'm wondering, is there anybody that you're mentoring? It sounds like you know so much. I know in the case of my partner, John, he was mentored by the great Santi Fasali. Um, and so he's a great photographer. And so my thought was, I, I wonder if you're mentoring anyone with all that knowledge you have, like even the terms, you can't be tight, you know, blah, 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 all these things you just know so much. You've done yeah. it all. So no, I'm not mentoring anybody because today I'm not a computer person. I'm still old style. I set the camera manually and do it the way I want to do it. I don't let the camera uh, dictate how I want to shoot the photo. In other words, exposures and, and different things of light. I get it. I get it. So you, I, I think what the subtext is there is that how could you be a teacher for someone when you don't have the technical interest that they might have? I get it. I understand. Richard, let's go to quick break. When we get back from the break, we're going to have just a few minutes left. So I've got one, one or two final questions for Dan. Richard, let's go to quick break. Reintroducing Greg Gorga, the director of the Santa Barbara Maritime Museum, Emily Falk, the curator of the show, which is the Lure of Lighthouses, and Mark Merkel's work in photography. And then apparently we've got something special happening Wednesday, which is the celebration of the Point Conception Lighthouse anniversary. Hey, Richard, let's go to a quick break. It's Elizabeth Stewart. I'm speaking with Dan Marco, and we're talking about the show, The Lure of Lighthouses, with Greg Gordon, the director. It, it, come and ask a question. 
Okay. All right. We do have a person you come in. All right. So this is a fantastic discussion that we're having about Dan's work and many, many years of shooting. And I just brought in um, over the break my partner, John, to talk about who is a professional photographer. He was talking about, you know, shooting manually. And, and Dan was saying, oh, you know, he's old and he does everything the old school way and how interesting. But but Dan is getting, you know, he's inside of a hundred foot wave yeah. on a jet ski shooting. Yeah. Not a <laughs> okay, maybe not a hundred, but yeah, it's quite it's quite amazing what you do. Um, and he he's traveled all over the world. Um, he's looked to see where where he was like a one man Getty. He's looking to see where the shot is and traveling there that he could sell. Yeah. And he's done this since the sixties. And he's on his way to Australia in a couple of days to do the same thing. I have to wait till after the next show. <laughs> I'd be on my way soon. Uh, okay. Portugal. I have when the next show here at the Maritime Museum. After that, then I will leave for Australia a few days later. You sound like a real genius to me because your life sounds like you set it up to do amazing things. So. Your life just looks wonderful. How awesome! He was working with he was working with George Greeno, who did who did the the casing that that. The, oh wow! That, yeah, 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 yeah. So he was he was Yeah, I saw that. Right, that was cool. My life is called a free bird. I go where I want, shoot yeah. where. I want. Uh, nobody tells me, oh, you know, go here or there. I just want to go where I want to go. Yeah. Thank you, Dan, for being with us. Greg, Emily, thank you for bringing such a fantastic artist to the community. And uh, everybody, the show, Lure of Lighthouse at the Maritime Museum. Bye, everybody. Bye.